I even know some pastors who have rebellious wives and, you know, the congregation laughs and jokes, but that is not, a, that's not funny. That's a very serious matter. That's a very serious matter. What does the Bible say? The Bible says rebellion is as witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. It's a very, very serious matter when a wife rebels against her husband. podcast my name is Shaq I hope you guys are having a beautiful start to the weekend and uh for some of you myself included the Sabbath day you know today is a day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it amen I wanted to come on and talk about um the role of a woman in the kingdom I've been this topic has been on my mind for a number a number of months almost a year and apparently um there's there's been some speculation that um a lot of speculation of what a woman's role is in the church in the house of god in the kingdom and you know apparently the camp is divided there are some christians out there who believe that um women have no place behind the pulpit. They don't have no business teaching whatsoever. And then there are some, it's mainly women um, that believe no women can teach, you know, because the men have failed us in the church. The men aren't taking their positions enough. So we got to step in and do it. And I just want to bring some light. I just want to shine some light and some, some clarification around what the role of a woman is more specifically what um, the qualifications of a pastor uh, is and if a woman whether or not plays a role in that but before I get into that you know I want to say a quick prayer Father God in your mighty and holy name Lord Jesus we thank you for his blood and I plead the blood of Jesus over this microphone I plead the blood of Jesus of all those who are within the sound of my voice I plead the blood of Jesus over those who seek greater knowledge, greater wisdom, and greater understanding, Father God. Let today be a day of peace. Let this episode be an episode of not confusion, not not strive for, not striven or, or, or strove for contentment, but let it be a day of fellowship. Let it be a day of understanding. Let it be a day of unity and mutual benefit, Father God. May your spirit cover this microphone. May your spirit cover this vessel that sits before you and say the words, give me the words you want me to speak, Father God, so that all will know not only your point of view, your understanding, but that you are alive and present in this podcast and in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, so going into it, the role of a woman. I'm going to be reading from First uh, Timothy chapter two. And before I get into it, I just want to say that um, a lot of women, they um, a lot of women, they read the first Timothy chapter two verse. I did. Did I say uh, I would read from first Timothy chapter three? If not, then that's the verse. That's the, the chapter I'm reading from. But I want to talk about first Timothy chapter two. 
just just briefly, you know, a lot of women, they absolutely despise what Paul says regarding men and women in the church. And I'm just going to read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8, uh, all the way to 15. I desire that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adore themselves in modest apparel with, propri with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. But which is proper for a woman, for women professing godliness with good works. That's extremely important. That's going to tie into what I'm saying today. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was, for, was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Children, y'all, you know, a lot of times when uh, a woman want a position behind the pulpit, it's because the male leadership is failing her. Either the male leadership is failing her or she wants to be validated. And most of the time, that's the case. A woman just wants a woman in all likelihood wants to be validated. And the women that, you know, you got to understand, children of y'all, that there's a hierarchy in the kingdom. There's a hierarchy in the kingdom of God. You know, first Corinthians. What was the verse? Let me look at let me look it up real fast. First Corinthians 11 three says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man and the head of Christ is God. So children of y'all, there is a hierarchy in the kingdom that we must take our due diligence and making sure that we don't override. And that includes the women, the women. Um, there's a reason why. God refers to the woman as the helper in the Bible before she create he created the woman. Okay. And a lot of times when women want to gain a, a higher position in the church, it's like I said, it's because the male leadership is failing her or she had a really rough upbringing where she did not her mother didn't teach her how to properly submit to the man, and her mother didn't teach her. When I say properly submit, follow his leadership, not necessarily master and slave, but to follow his principles, to follow his teaching. Because why? Because look at the word woman. A woman models everything in the kingdom of God. A woman models everything she does after a man. She does not step out of bounds. She understands what she is, and she understands how she can help the man become whom he needs to become in the spirit, in the kingdom of God. This is why she is called the, this is why she is called the helper in the Bible and also why she's called the woman because she stems, she herself is made from a woman, but more, more on that a little bit later. But um, so when the passage comes up and, and, and it says in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, verse 11, 
and 12, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence for Av was for, for Adam was first was formed first, then Eve and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Um, a lot of women like to, this is, this is just my own personal experience. It's not every woman. So please, you know, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt when it comes to what I'm going to say next and specifically this. A lot of women, some women make this argument, oh, it was because of the politics at the church at the time. It, 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 it's, not, it's not the way that God, that God uh, wanted it. But what does the Bible say? What is the reason why Paul is saying the women should not be behind the pulpit? What is the reason for that? The reason is not because of the politics that was going on in the church at the time. The reason was for what happened in the Garden of Eden. That's the reason. No, but nonetheless, the woman... They need to understand if your goal, you guys need to understand if your goal is to preach, you don't have to be a pastor to preach. Preaching is maybe 10% of what a pastor does. Okay. And how do we know this? How do we know you don't necessarily need to be a pastor or a reverend or a uh, or anything like that to preach. How do you know you don't need to be a bishop to preach? Why? Because Ezekiel was a prophet and God told him to preach the word. Jeremiah was a prophet and God told him to preach the word. Isaiah was a prophet and God told him to preach. The woman at the well was an evangelist and Jesus told her to preach the word, to preach the good news to the people of Samaria so that she would be the missing link between Jesus and Samaria. Phoebe was a minister. Priscilla was a minister and she preached. She preached to, in Ephesians, she preached to Apollos in the presence of her husband. She, because um, her husband, uh, Aquila's, Aquila. And um, Apollos only knew the gospel of John. And Priscilla and her husband dedicated their teaching, their knowledge to helping Apollos grow more uh, in the scriptures. So you don't necessarily need to be a pastor to preach. That's not what a pastor does. Now, what exactly does a pastor do? What is a pastor responsible for? Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, the qualifications of overseers. And I'm going to read from verse one all the way to verse seven. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, less being puffed up with pride, 
pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into the reproach and snare of the devil. Ladies, so for some of you who believe that you can be female pastors, are you married? Because according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, one of the qualifications is the pastor has to be married to one wife. But if you are that wife and you're a pastor, well, that would, that would address the question, are you married? Now, the second question is, for those of you who are married and you claim to be pastors, what is your husband doing? Where's your husband at? How are you a pastor? If we read carefully what the scripture says, it says, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? How are you a pastor if your husband is the head of the household? Remember that verse I gave in 1 Corinthians eleven three. 3, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. How? See, the role of a pastor is built for men. The role of a pastor is built for men. Look at how the Bible unfolds. The Bible started out with Adam and Eve. And Adam, he was responsible and taxed with watching over the Garden of Eden. And then God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will create a helper fit for him. And then he put Adam in a deep coma, in a deep sleep, and he created Eve from his rib. Ladies, pay attention to the rib. Why did God use the rib? Why didn't God use anything, anything else? Because the rib represents the man's side. Ladies, you're not supposed to be in front of your husband. You're not supposed to be behind your husband. You're supposed to stand beside your husband. Queens can't be kings. And then going back to the story of Adam and Eve. So Adam... He was taxed with watching over the Garden of Eden. And then when Eve was created, the devil came out and tempted them. The devil came out and tempted them to eat fruit from the tree. And Adam, he had an overwhelming curiosity about uh, the forbidden fruit. And so he wouldn't get in trouble. He tasks Eve to go and get the fruit. Okay, he taxed Eve. He said, you go get it. And Adam knew very well what he was doing, thinking that, you know, he would probably escape the consequences, even though the Lord, even though the Lord told him, listen, if you eat of the fruit of the tree, you will die. You will surely die. And he allowed Eve to do it. And then what was the first thing that uh, God told uh, Adam, after he was finished dealing with Eve, let's look at Genesis chapter three, verse 17. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, because you have heeded, you have listened, you have considered, you have followed the voice of your wife and you have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. 
And then we know the rest of the story. So God punished Adam for allowing his woman to take the lead. And some of you are sitting there saying, okay, but what does that have to do with being a pastor? It's the same hierarchy, the same rule, the same order. Even when you look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, nowhere did they appoint, nowhere in the Old Testament, nowhere did Moses, Moses did not appoint a woman to be one of the heads over the children of Israel. Nowhere. Of course they had Miriam, but Miriam was a prophetess and a prophetess is not a leader. A prophetess is not a commander. A prophetess is a messenger of God and her responsibility is to deliver and preach and speak God's, God's spoken word over the people, God's judgment, that is, over the people. That is exactly what a pro what a prophet and a prophetess does. Okay. Going into going into Deborah, the pro the prophetess. Oh, people say, oh, wasn't Deborah a judge? Let me, like, children of y'all, let me ask you guys something. What is it? What was it that the, the prophets of old in the Old Testament did? Why were the prophets in the Old Testament so greatly feared? Samuel was feared by the people. Jonah was feared by the people of Nineveh. Why were they so greatly feared? Because the prophets brought mass judgment. The people, the children of Israel, they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing, okay? And the penalty for their sins was death. So when the word of God was spoken by way of the prophets over them, they feared that judgment. They feared that judgment. See, Jesus didn't come down from heaven yet. Jesus didn't die on the cross yet. So the atonement for the sins was much more harsh. It was much more harsh and it was much more intense. You had, you had to take all of the fault yourself. If you committed that crime, you were deserving of death and you would be stoned. Okay. So when it comes to Deborah, Deborah, and uh, uh, along with the old prophets of the Bible, they were judges. They weren't. They were judges by way of their prophetic words onto the children of Israel. That's what it means to be a judge. And, he, and even if you look at Judges chapter four, that's what that that's what it says. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, I'm reading Judge, Judges chapter four, verse four. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. And she would sit under a palm tree under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinom and Kadesh and Naphtali. Naphtali, I'm sorry. I said to him, has not the Lord of God of Israel commanded, go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you 10,000 men and of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. And against you, I will deploy Sisera and the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon. And I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to her, if you go 
with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, surely I will go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into a hand of the woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. So we see it right here. Deborah was judging Israel at the time. You know, it, it's not, it's, it wasn't the, the judge that we think of in the courtroom where it's, it's a woman with a, with a gavel. She's sitting at a bench. No, this is where the people knew where Deborah was and they went to her concerning something that they did that God did not seek approval of, or he did seek approval of. See, prophets, they don't just bring judgment upon the people, but they also bring prophecies of provision, prophecies of abundance, prophecies of understanding the Lord's will. The Lord wants you to go here. The Lord wants you to do this. The Lord wants you to become that. That is what, that is the responsibility of a prophet. They're more or less the middlemen and women of God. And so that's what it that's what it means when it says that 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 Deborah judged Israel. Some people like to use uh, Esther. Okay, well, what about Esther? You know, she saved Israel. Yes, she did save Israel, but if you read the story carefully, she had to seek approval. I'm looking for the story right now. She had to seek approval from the king. She had to seek approval. Once she found out that Haman passed, Haman convinced uh, King Ahasuerus to pass the decree to slay and, uh, and annihilate the Jews and plunder their goods, you know, she had to request to uh, uh, King Ahasuerus an audience. She had to say, King, do I have, uh, do I have permission to, 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 to speak? Let me read to you the passage, Esther chapter seven, verse three. Then Queen Esther answered and said, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. So she's basically asking the king for a favor. If it's okay with you, can I ask you a favor? For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. Had we been sold as a male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue. Although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, who is he and where is he who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, the adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. And Haman was terrified and Haman ended up being killed. The decree got reversed and Esther was able to save the Jews. So we look here in the very beginning, Esther was very well aware of her authority. She was royalty. She was royalty. But she was very careful not to overstep her bounds. She was very, very careful not to do that. Otherwise, otherwise the king would have gotten rid of her like he got rid of Queen Vashti, the, the queen that came before Esther. And Queen Vashti left because she didn't want to listen to uh, King Ahasuerus anymore. So 
Mordecai, I believe Mordecai was a prophet. I believe Mordecai knew all of this was going to happen. I believe he knew that people, that his people were going to be brought into, into prominence. And when everybody else bowed down to the king's secondhand man, Haman, Mordecai refused to bow down. And that's when the beef started. That's when Haman decided, you know what? I'm going to kill his people. His people are a threat to my plan. They're a threat to what I want to do. I want to kill his people. I want to get rid of his people once and for all, but I don't want to, I don't want to go out without the king's permission and launch an army against the Jews to kill them. I want to, I want to deceive the king and convince the king that they, that the, the Jews, the children of Israel are an enemy to his kingdom. So I'm going to go and I'm going to change the legislation. And then when Mordecai told Esther, Esther basically said, if it's okay with you, I have a request. She started with that. She didn't turn to the king to say, well, well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure the king doesn't know I'm going to go out and I'm going to send the army. I'm going to do what I do because then the king would have been like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I, ha I haven't made this. I haven't given you permission to do this. And that's the that's the deception that a lot of a lot of these women are, are are going through. They're led to believe that they can freely overstep the bounds of their men, overstep the bounds of their husbands, like even men who are led by God. Some of them are married to women who are very rebellious. They suffer from a spirit of idolatry. You know, they 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 want their own way. They want to get in their own emotions. And then when God tells the man to do something and he tells the women, this is what we're going to do. This is what the Lord is telling us to do. We're going to do A, B, C, X, Y, Z. And the woman goes, no, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. That's a rebellious woman. And, and I even know some pastors who have rebellious wives and, you know, the congregation laughs and jokes, but that is not, a, that's not funny. That's a very serious matter. That's a very serious matter. What does the Bible say? The Bible says rebellion is as witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. It's a very, very serious matter when, when a wife rebels against her husband. It's a, it's a very serious matter, but I'm going to, um, but I'm going to, I'm going to get back on, on, on track here. You know, a lot of women they suffer from that spirit of idolatry. They're being led into the spirit of idolatry. You know, we're living in a time when women, they want to be goddesses. You know, they want the likes, they want the follows, they want the financial security, and they want to be worshiped for their beauty. Every day, there's not a day I go on social media and I don't see a woman post 10,000 selfies of herself. Yes, I understand a woman feels beautiful. I understand women want to feel beautiful. They want to feel, they want to feel amazing. I understand that, but it gets to a point where it gets obsessive. It gets obsessive. And I see that all the time. You know, so many women, you know, they they put on they put on their makeup, they put on their 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 eyeliner, their mascara, their lipstick, their cheek plush, and and it is it, it's, it, it gets demonic after a while because I just read a verse 
from 1 Timothy chapter 2 that said, be modest. Let me read that verse again. In like, this is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves with modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Ladies, when you dress, what you say should be a rep should be representative for how much you serve the Lord. When people look at you, they have to understand that you're all about your ways are all about the kingdom of God. Some of you, some of you, you say you get on live and you say Jesus from your mouths, but you can tell that you're all about you. We can tell that you're all about you. Some of you, you put on the mirror, you do a cute pose, or you do the downward shot, and you do the, the duck lips, and you say, Jesus. We can tell that your heart, the intentions of your heart are not really there. We can tell. It's quite obvious. It's quite obvious. And these women are being led to a spirit of idolatry, children of Yah. You know, they want, like I said, they want to be goddesses. They want to be worshipped so bad. They want the attention. They want the guys to give them all the attention. They want women to tell them how beautiful they are. They want women to envy them at the same time. They want women to fight them, dislike them. And, and you know, and that that's, that's the drama that outer appearance causes. And why does the Bible say that man focuses on appearance, but God focuses on the heart? And some of these women, when it comes to the church and the kingdom setting, they want to bring that attitude. They want to bring, they want to bring that aura. They want to bring that, that, that mindset and frame into the church. And they want to use it for more power and influence to gain a position behind the pulpit. And I've seen some women do this in some churches. Their frame, their frame is, I could be sexy and still be a woman of God. They're up there with the tight skirt. They're up there with the makeup. They're up there with the lipstick. They're up there with the with the high with the high six inch heels talking about, I praise Jesus. And, and it's not godly. It's not godly. Like the Bible says, you're supposed to be modest in your apparel. I shouldn't be looking at you and wondering how many other men are looking, are looking at not you, but what is on you. And so many, and so many of these women, they're not doing it for the right reasons. They're doing it because they want to be validated. It's all about their emotions. And like I said earlier, children of Yah, this is the wrong thing. This is the wrong approach. If you want to become a pastor, children of Yah, number one, you can't even choose what you become because like God anointed, not like God ordained Jer Jeremiah, a prophet before he was born. What does he say? He said, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you before before you came, let me, matter of fact, let me read the verse. Let me read the verse so I don't get, so I don't get a uh, uh, flame. Like, oh, you got the verse all wrong. Jeremiah chapter one, verse four. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So like God chooses a, who a prophet is before he's born, God will choose who becomes a pastor. God will choose who becomes a minister. God will choose who becomes an apostle. God will choose these things. Ephesians 4.11, and he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers or ministers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for edifying the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the Bible says that the pastor doesn't choose, you can't even choose yourself. The pastor doesn't choose who becomes an evangelist. The pastor doesn't choose who becomes a prophet. The pastor doesn't choose who, who becomes an apostle. The pastor doesn't choose who becomes an evangelist. The pastor doesn't choose who becomes a minister. And if the pastor can't choose, you can't choose. Why? Because Ephesians 4.11 says that God himself gave some to be apostles, ministers, pastors, teachers, po apostles, ministers, evangelists, pastors, um, and prophets. So what it really comes down to is you have to seek, you have to seek and pray to the Lord, ladies, about what it is that he wants you to do, because like I said, your position in the kingdom does not change. Well, I haven't said this before. I'm going to say it now. Your position in the kingdom does not change because you're mad. There is no, well, my man isn't, isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing. So I'm going to take control. I'm going to take charge. And I understand you're frustrated, but like I said, your assignment does not change because you're mad. That is why you're called the helpmate. A woman's role, a woman's role in the kingdom is to help a man become everything that the man needs to be for God. That is the role of a woman. That is the role of a woman. Let, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, I'm going to go back to chapter 11. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7. For a man indeed ought to not cover his head since he is the image and the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. This is why a woman is called a woman. She comes from the womb of a man. Not all men, not all women, obviously. I'm speaking in the context of Adam and Eve, and that's the context that this is talking about. The woman comes from the rib of man. That is the proper context. Nor was the man created for the woman but woman for the man. So that backs up what I'm saying. 
The woman's purpose is to help a man become everything that God wants him to become. This is why she is called the helper in the Bible. What does it say in Genesis? It is not fit for man to be alone, so I will create a helper fit for him. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels, because she because she was created, a woman was created in the image and likeness of God. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman nor woman independent of man in the Lord. So for those of you ladies that say, I don't need no man, man ain't nothing. All they want to do is cheat and do the wrong thing. You can have a family and you can walk away and leave the woman stuck with the kids and this, that, and the third. A man ain't nothing, man. No. The Bible says that men and women need each other. And so that attitude stems from a spirit of torment, a spirit of infirmity, a spirit of pride. And it's not necessarily something it can. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not, but it, it's not necessarily something that starts because of them. Sometimes it's inherited from the family that came before them. I mean, think about it. Is it really a coincidence that you could see one family and it's nothing but women and their children and the fathers are nowhere to be found? You think it's really a coincidence that the women have attitude problems? You think it's really a coincidence that the women, that the men are womenizers and they cheat and they leave and they they don't want to bear responsibility. That's a generational curse inherited for one season, one family after another. For as women, a woman came from man, even so man's come comes through also comes through the women, but all things are from God. So for those of you who are saying sitting there saying that, oh, like, like your God is a, miso a misogynist as well as a murderer. Oh, God don't care about the women. You know, women, we just hear. We just got to obey and bow down to the men. Yes, you have to. You have to obey your wives. You have to obey the men that come before you, because as you submit, you get blessed because of it. There's an order in the kingdom that cannot be that cannot be overwritten. There's an order. There's an order. First Peter chapter three, verse one, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, fear of the Lord, that is, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging of the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be hidden, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, I, li I like this extra part. The holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. But 
wives, as you obey your husbands, we'll flip it to the 1080 side to the husbands. Likewise, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel as being heirs together to the thrace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So the women want to be loved. The men want to be respected. It's a it's a circle. It's a circle. So when it comes to the role of what a woman should do, a lot of people like to use Proverbs 31 women. A, a lot of people love to turn to Proverbs 31. Let's let, let, let's learn real quick what the virtue, what the virtuous wife is. I don't have a whole lot of time, but I feel like this is important. I feel like this can help bring deeper perspectives to uh, to someone. And I'm going to I'm going to go through it as I read it. Proverbs 31, chapter 10, uh, verse 10. The virtuous wife. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. So right off the bat, ladies, if you really want to be blessed by God, you have to become something that your man cannot find anywhere else. This is why the Bible says it's hard to find a virtuous woman. Verse 11, the heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. Ladies, if you feel, if your husbands are always quiet and you're always arguing, you're always yelling, you're always miserable, you're always making them miserable and you give them a hard time wherever they go. If you do this, your husband's not going to trust you. Just remember, remember. Just because your husband is not openly expressive about what he feels, it doesn't mean he doesn't feel it. You have to check the pulses in your marriage. You have to check the pulses in your, in your situations. And all of this ties very much into a role at the pulpit. Because like we read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, ministry starts at home. Okay? Ministry starts at home. But the heart of her husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain. When you feel like your man can, when you feel like your man can trust you when he has your trust, he'll do anything and everything for you. This is the way it works. So for some, it's not necessarily a question of, of I want to do what I want to do or can I do what I want to do? It's more of, are you prepared to meet the requirements of your requirements? Are you prepared? You say you want a you say you want a hardworking man. You say you want a kingdom man. You say you want a man to treat you the best way he could possibly treat you. But are you positioning yourself to have such a man? Some of you, that man has not come because God is looking and analyzing your heart. He's looking at and analyzing your heart. And he's seeing that you won't submit that to the cross. And so you're not ready for it. And until you get ready for it, it's not going to happen. But the day you decide, God, I submit to you, I'm going to do it your will. I'm going, to, I'm going to pursue it your way. I am completely ready. The day you not only say that, but you believe it with your mind, you believe it with your heart, you believe it with your soul and every fiber of your being, that's when God decides you're ready. And that's when he's going to sing you the kingdom man. And that's exactly how Ruth 
was able to find Boaz. And, and think about this, ladies. Ruth didn't even find Boaz. Even though Naomi sent her to Bethlehem to say, I want you to find a good man. Ruth didn't find Boaz. Boaz found her. Boaz said, you are a virtuous woman. Why? Boaz tested Ruth's spirit. Boaz tested Ruth's spirit with, with the spirit of God and said, this is the one that I want. This is the virtuous one I want. So you have to position yourself, ladies, regardless of what the situation is, if your husband doesn't do what God wants him to do, the Lord will take care of it. It's not up to you to decide what happens. It's not up to you to take matters in your own hands. The only thing you're required to do in such a circumstance is to pray and to prophesy. Okay. But continuing, she seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. So right off the bat, her husband, the, the virtuous woman is not lazy. The virtuous woman is willing to work as hard as she needs to work for the marriage to work for the fan, for the, uh, the home to be in order. She's not lazy. She doesn't just sit there and say, well, he's the husband. He's going to he's supposed to take care of me. He's supposed to do everything. And, and I don't I don't have to do anything. And, and a lot of women, they, they go into marriage with that with that mindset of just being taken care of. And it's like, well, what is your what are you worth? Well, I give I give him that good thing every night. Listen, ladies, if sex is what you're really all about. Your husband, let's be real. Your husband's going to get tired of that. Marriage is more than just sex. It's a sign of trust. It's a sign of commitment. The two of you are a team. How can we work together to achieve this goal? That is what marriage is all about. Moving on. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar taking care of the house. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. Yep. And a portion for her maid servants. She considers a field and buys it from her profits. She plants a vineyard. Yep. She does whatever she can to make the house better. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. So the virtuous woman, she knows how to fight. She knows when a situation is tough. She knows when to hold it down in the home. She knows when her husband is struggling, when her husband is struggling, when the kids are struggling, when everything is falling apart, she turns into a prayer warrior. She turns into an intercessor. She turns, she turns into Wonder Woman and she defends all that God has given her in high esteem and with the highest honor she can possibly attain. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and holds her hands to the spindle. She extends her hands to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. So the virtuous woman, ladies, is very altruistic. She's not selfish. Selfish women don't make it in the kingdom. 
You can't be a selfish queen. If you're sitting there thinking it's all about you, and there are women like that behind the pulpit, if you're sitting there fighting your husband all the time or what your husband wants to do, thinking it's all about you, if you're sitting there, you know, when people ask you for help and you're like, no, I got to worry for myself, you have the wrong attitude. It is not about you. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. So she makes sure this is one of the things I love about women. They know how to make a home feel like home. Like even if you have absolutely nothing, they know how to turn it into something. It's the little things. They know how to decorate it with this. They know how to decorate it with that. And wherever you go, you feel the woman's presence. You feel the woman's warmth and you feel the woman's love in the home. I absolutely love that about women. And this ties into it. When your husband comes home after a hard day at work, maybe he got yelled at, maybe it was hard, maybe he was stuck in traffic, maybe he got into a fight or something along those lines. When he comes home, when he opens that door, ladies, and that home is clothed with the spirit of God and your love that abides in it, that man isn't going anywhere that man will fight to the death to protect it, okay? She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. So she wears, she wears the kingdom all over her. She eats, sleeps, and breathes the kingdom of God. Very metaphorical. Her husband is known at the gate, is known in the gates. So her husband is well known. Her husband is a man of God. He's a family man. Every, everybody knows of him, knows of his reputation. And when it comes to the kingdom, children of Yah, the men, the kingdom men, they got to do everything they can to help the people around them who desire it. When he sits among the elders in the land, the elders, the pastors, the people he he receives mentorship from she makes linen garments garments and sells them and supplies stashes for the merchants strength and honor are her clothing her clothing she shall rejoice in time to come she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness ladies for some of you, your attitude problem is holding you back in the home and it's holding you back in the hurch. If you do have an appointed office, maybe you're an usher, maybe you're a pallbearer, maybe you're an intercessor, maybe you're a, maybe you're on the worship team, maybe you're a minister. And I'm going to get into deacons real briefly too. But I want to stay on this. For some of you, your attitude problem is not is holding you back and the way you deal with the people that's creating a bad taste in their mouths and not only is it creating a bad taste in their mouths it's also opening a door to the devil it's also opening a door to the devil and allowing him to have access to your soul and poisoning your ministry your home your family your connections and then people want to disassociate themselves from you so it's important to have, regardless of what your position is, whether you're a wife, a pastor's wife, whether you're a minister, a prophetess, an evangelist, 
or an apostle, and I'm going to get into that real briefly too, it's important that you maintain the kindness factor at all times. For some of you, I'm just going to keep it real. For some of you, like to use the excuse of the end of the month, like, oh, I just, I, I, I'm moody. It's just that time of the month. Like, listen, it's your time of the month and you could talk to your husband the way you want to talk to them, but you don't talk to your boss like that at work. When you need that paycheck, when you need to get paid on Friday, you know how to check it at work. And ladies, if you could check, I've heard somebody say this before. If you can check it at work, you can check it at home. On your tongue has to be the law of kindness. And Galatians 5, 23 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, patience, and self-control against such things. There is no law. So ladies, if you have the spirit of God in you, these things are going to be present. These things are going to be present and they will manifest in your marriage, in your home, wherever you go in your life, one way or another. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. The kids love mama. The kids love the virtuous woman. Her husband also praises her. The husband Lo absolutely loves waking up next to his virtuous wife. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Children of Yah, there is nothing more attractive than a woman who gives everything she has, a thousand percent, lock, stock, and barrel towards the kingdom of God. I absolutely love it. But for some of you, you're wondering, okay, well, what about, what about the apostles? What about, what about deacons? Can women be apostles or deacons? Let's turn back to first Timothy chapter three, and I'm going to read from verse eight, all the way to verse 13. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons. So right off the bat, do you, do you love the money more than you love people? Are you into the partying? Are you pure hearted? These must be tested. The pastor, the overseer, the bishop has to see, has to test your spirit with the spirit and see if these things are in you. But let them serve as deacons being, but let, let me, let me read that verse over again, but let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. And this is the part that's going to make some of you ladies mad. And I'm really trying not, I'm really not trying to make you mad, but this is what the Bible says. Verse 11, likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is Christ Jesus. So 
that tells you right there that deacons, they can't be women. If the Bible says they got to be husbands to wives, the wives can cannot be deacons. I don't care what they're doing at your church. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. But what about the apostles? See, here's the thing. The reason why there were no female apostles in the New Testament is because it was very, very important for the new covenant to be formed. And it was very, very important that the new covenant be led by men. It doesn't necessarily mean that apostles can't be men. And let me tell you what an, the definition of an apostle. So an apostle, for those of you who don't know, they perform the signs and wonders of the spirit. They perform the miracles of the kingdom of God. They go out casting out devils. They go out healing people, whatever it is they touch. If someone touches it, they're getting automatically saved. Look at Acts chapter nine with Paul, Paul touching the handkerchief and then everybody else who touched the handkerchief, they were getting saved. They were getting delivered. Then look at the seven sons of Sceva. But this is what an apostle does. It was necessary for the establishment of the old covenant and the new covenant alike to both be led by men. The only time Jesus used a woman to expand the kingdom of God when he was on the scene is when he was at the, it was, is, uh, the women at the well. The women at the well, the woman in Samaria, he knew she was going to be there she had five husbands. She saw, excuse me, she saw the miracle. She saw the miracle working in him and she went back to go tell the people of Samaria, hey, listen, you got to come see this guy. That was the only time Jesus used a woman in his ministry. Yeah, there was the harlot who was getting stoned and then he grabbed the, the cloth, uh, she grabbed the cloth of the woman and then said, if, and then um, Jesus looked down and saw her and then said, oh, you're blessed. And then the woman who was about to be stoned, she's, uh, Jesus said, if, any, if there's any one of you without sin, let him cast the first stone. So those are, the, those are the only examples that we see when Jesus was on the scene. But after that, after, Jesus, after the new covenant was formed, after Jesus said it is done, and he died on the cross and resurrected on the third day. My light's going out. And resurrected on the third day. Then we see women making a bold move for the kingdom. Tryphena and Tryphosa, Anna the prophetess, um, for a brief moment of time, Ananias, Ananias' wife, um, we see Priscilla, we see Phoebe, we see, we see a number of different women making bold moves, bold moves for the kingdom of Christ. And obviously these women were ministers with the exception of Anna. Obviously these women were, were ministers. You know, I got into an argument a year ago where I was told, no, no, no. What about them? They were pastors. No, they were not pastors because if Paul said, I do not permit a, a, a woman to exercise authority over a man in the church. If Paul says, as Paul says that, 
I have a very hard time believing he would say that and allow these women to exercise authority over men. They were there. The reality is they were there evangelizing. They were there teaching, but it was always with Paul's authority. So Paul was still the head, but he allowed the women and the spirit of God to manifest however they manifested in them. And there were also women in the Old Testament. You had Hannah, you had Sarah. I already mentioned Ruth. You had Rahab. She hid the spies of, of Jericho. I already mentioned Esther and Deborah. So I don't want you guys to think that the women have no place in the kingdom. It's, it's, it's absolutely not true. It's not true. It's nonsense. And no. But what about you? Some of you sitting there saying, okay, so what am I supposed to do? You have to, number one, open your mind and your heart to the spirit. Allow the spirit to enter you. And number two, you have to understand what the will of the Lord is. What does God want for you specifically in your life? What is your mission? What is your assignment? And you have to be willing to kill your emotions. You have to be willing to kill the spirit of pride, the spirit of idolatry. You have to stop thinking about yourself and having all of your thoughts and your mind and your heart focused on the Lord. This is what it's going to take. Okay. I'm over my time limit. That's all I have for today. I pray that you guys go so in Jesus name, go grow in Jesus name. I'm going to post this video on Facebook. I'm going to post it on, um, it's also going to be in the podcast as you know, my default format is in podcast platform. I wish I could do Facebook lives, but, uh, nonetheless, you know, I'm figuring out this tech technological stuff. I'm still working on the video editing stuff. It's a lot more complicated than, um, than I originally thought, but I pray that you guys have a beautifully blessed weekend. Go so in Jesus' name and go grow in Jesus' name. And uh, God bless you. Have a good day. Thank you.